Hey guys, welcome back to the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast. This week, we are talking about technology and how it is going to affect real estate in the very near future. Whether you're a borrower or a professional in the space, this is going to be a really eye-opening conversation on where real estate is headed and how you can potentially use some of these technologies to help you. Hope you enjoy. This is the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast, the show that highlights Saskatchewan real estate. Looking to buy your first house, your next investment property? Subscribe to never miss an episode. Here's your host, Ron Caroni. Hello and welcome back to the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast, our source for real estate news about Saskatchewan. This week, a little bit of a different episode, and I think one that's going to frighten a lot of uh, real estate professionals, uh, but we'll try and keep it as light as we can. I'm really excited for this one. Uh, this week, interviewing my good friend, Shane Zaba. Shane is the owner-operator of Network Integrated Control Systems here in Saskatoon. And with all of this talk about AI, chat GPT, and how this is really going to influence the world, I thought it would be really great to have someone with a technological background to come on and give his perspective on how these things are going to affect real estate. So first of all, welcome, Shane. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you very much for having me, Ron. So Shane, just give us a quick overview of you, your company, some things you do here in Saskatoon, and just give us a a brief overview of, of your expertise before we start diving into real estate. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my name is Shane Zab. I own Network Integrated Control Systems. Um, we just hit our 10th anniversary this month, so we're 10 years old in Saskatoon. I've been living in Saskatoon for the last 25 years, so most of my adult life and most of my career and jobs have been here. Uh, my background is a little bit of engineering, two years of engineering from U of S before I dropped out to start a business, get into business with a friend of mine in town. And since then, it's just been one entrepreneur project after the other. So I went from uh, working in his business to starting a retail computer store in Saskatoon in 2009 to 2012. That was Bridge City Computers with a bunch of other business partners. Uh, and then when that closed in 2012, was when I opened Nix in uh, the start of 2013. And so my background is a little unusual in that I don't come directly from a comp sci background, but we did have a, a serious foundation in comp sci and engineering, and it's something that I've continued on my own. And so uh, the real expertise in this business is less programming, though, and more problem solving. And so our specialty really is to evaluate unique circumstances in unique businesses and uh, develop effective and hopefully efficient solutions for those. Wonderful. If we were writing a yearbook right now, you'd probably be most likely to become evil genius, but probably not, right? Yeah, maybe. I was very, <laughs> in high school, I was very focused on money. And so that led me down the finance path. And so there was a, a couple of years in the middle there where I traded stock for a proprietary trading firm. Wow. So I was convinced that my future was in finance and that my life goals consisted mostly of piles of money. Uh, and that was actually the job. It was a great job to get because it's about as pure a only money job as you can have where everything you do constantly about money and not about people. Uh, and so it was that it was that work that kind of, <clears throat> I guess, would have put my uh, yearbook quote to the to the test because it made me realize that money wasn't everything. Right. And so right. And so that was kind of what led to okay, I'd rather be in something where I'm where I'm building uh, something that lasts that that has an impact on people beyond uh, the fiscal impact, so to speak. 
Wonderful. Speaking of impact on people, um, a lot of talk these days about artificial intelligence and a lot of this stuff has been around, but it has really become mainstream, I would say, just here at the beginning of 2023 with a lot of people downloading ChatGPT, a lot of talk of AI, and we were chatting and I thought it would be a, a great to just sit down with you and get your perspective on how this is going to affect real estate. So starting this off, Shane, um, let's say we're in the year 2030, can be earlier than that, but when... Mr. and Mrs. Caroni are going to buy a home. What are some of the key features that are going to be different than they are today? So the first thing I think you're going to notice in your industry is going to be a, a change in how reputation is perceived. And so uh, right now it's very important that you have the experience and the uh, education to provide informative answers to sometimes specific questions from uh, people from different backgrounds, right? And so what uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT in particular is going to do is it's going to make people seem a lot smarter than they are. Mm. And that is going to in turn improve their reputation, right? And so that's going to come across in a number of ways. And it's going to be the first, it's kind of the uh, low hanging fruit to take advantage of out of the gate. And so uh, mortgage brokers right now who, when they email back and forth, their emails are a little bit, uh, unprofessional maybe, uh, maybe they're really fond of things like adjectives, which uh, turn a lot of people off, you know, in particular me when I read an email. Uh, and so now what's going to happen is you're going to have a, you know, what's often called a co-pilot AI, which is going to read everything you do, tell you when you write something stupid and tell you what it should be to not look stupid. And so mm. now all those emails are going to appear to be written by somebody who's a very good writer when in truth, they're corrected by an AI that's a very good writer. And then that's going to extend to content development, to uh, the blog post that they post, and even in the future to responses on the phone, right? Because I can have that AI listening to our conversation right now, and I can tell it even before, before we start. You know, every question that Ron asked me, I want you to instantly on my side screen, give me a college professor level answer to those questions. So I can just read that off to you as a response if I wanna look extra smart, right? And so uh, the step that follows that where we go from what I would call uh, technology that's available right now and that's kind of um, doesn't have a big impact but doesn't also, also doesn't have a big cost to implement. The step that goes uh, that comes after that is now that AI is not just smart about your market in general, but it's also smart about your business. And so now it doesn't just know about what are the best mortgage rates and what are the best answers to finance questions. It also knows everything that you've done in the past, all the invoices you've done, all the communication you've had in your email. And so now I can just have it be the thing that your customer talks to, right? And so I can take you out of that where you're the middleman trying to read what the AI types to you quickly and just have the AI say it directly to your customer. And the next iteration of this technology that's coming out towards the end of the year is, is, is what it's uh, what we're hearing. You will be able to talk to it on the phone for 10 minutes without knowing it's a computer. So as a mortgage professional, it's like, oh, that all sounds great. I'm just going to be have, I'm going to be able to have this ultimate assistant that is going to take all of these tasks off my plate. And as you follow this logic down though, that's like, wait a sec, Those, these are all the tasks that a customer requires of me as far as what's my best interest rate? How does this pertain to my situation? 
if AI can do those things, does a lot of uh, existing professions, we'll keep it to real estate, get replaced by AI because of the nature of if you're knowledgeable in these aspects, you can program that knowledge into this AI? So I think it does a couple of things there. So the first thing I would say is that it will be new realtors just getting into the market who will be the first to adopt these tools, not firms with 100 realtors that have been around for 50 years. These guys have systems in place that take years to change. And so they're going to be one of the latest adopters of it. And so from a perspective of competition, I think it offers a great opportunity for new up and coming realtors to be disruptive in their market. So from that perspective, I think it's great. Um, I do think you're going to see, and so the goal here is that AI replaces the repetitive, unenjoyable tasks and leaves you to focus on the things that matter, um, that, that, that really humans still do better, right? And so that's my hope is that instead of replacing these specialties, it will instead allow them to focus on the parts of the process that are unique and still require a human. Right. And so maybe that's less putting the numbers together and more meeting in person with someone. From a realtor standpoint, and that kind of leads directly into the next question, Shane, if a lot of what we're doing uh, can be replaced through automation or done through virtual, if we're talking about things like the metaverse and being able to experience things online, how is this going to affect real estate and real estate showings where instead of taking a person to a house, you can just slap on a pair of goggles and you can do what you need to do to see this property. Yeah, so I think it has two implications there. So the first is we are rapidly getting to a place where you will be able to see every detail of a property without being at the property in person. Hmm. Right. And so the vision of that is a, th a 3D model in a virtual space. And the idea that I see people pursuing is going to be to come to that from the outside of the space. So to show up at the front door, to drive up on the, on the street and arrive at the property. And from that perspective, that's where you begin. So it's, you're getting out of your car, like you showed up to the property in person, and now you can using your mouse or using a joystick or using uh, intuitive natural language commands. Maybe you can walk around the property. You can view all the outside of the house. You can view the landscaping to the point where you can even go into the backyard and draw a square with your mouse across the garden plot and know what the square footage of your garden plot is, right? And so that's the extent of the detail that you're going to get out of it. Um, and then you should be able to extend that experience where you can walk through the uh, deck doors, go into the home from any of the entrances, and do the same kinds of things where you can see the square footage of the rooms uh, with a certain degree of accuracy, plus or minus, you know, six inches or something like that. And then taking that one step further to where now you can integrate with other providers, which we've talked about in the past, where you could have an opportunity to, 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 to say, have uh, something like a, a furniture retailer like The Brick, where they have an add-in sitting as part of your digital space, where now I can click and drag furniture into the virtual house, see what it looks like. And then to take that one step further again, so now we're maybe another 18 months down the road, where now I can walk around my house and take pictures of my furniture with my phone and put my furniture in the digital house that I'm viewing. Oh, will my coach fit in there? Well, let's find out. Let's take a picture that has accurate uh, um, measurements on it for the size of the coach. 
and put it into this digital model that has accurate measurements for the size of the space, right? So that's one piece of it. So there's there's one part where it's, we're taking your real life physical property, building a digital representation of it that is incredibly accurate, more accurate than anything we've had so far to the point where you don't need to see the physical property. But what that implies is it also opens this weird space where now, well, you can have digital property that's not real property. Hmm. And so now when you're arriving in this space and you're looking at these 3D, 3D models, well, I can put other things in there, right? I can put promotional objects maybe inside the house that aren't actually in the real house. I can do all kinds of interesting things where I can add content in a virtual space that you don't see in real life. Very fascinating. And lots of different aspects from an advertising standpoint, because a lot of this stuff does come down to who's going to ultimately pay for the service or who's going to provide it. Now, if you're a furniture company and you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, that would be amazing if I could have complete ownership over a platform that 50% of new home buyers were using to pick and choose furniture. And so it becomes very powerful from a sense that if you're a company who can get your products in front of people before some of this technology takes off, or you can be an early adopter, it can make a, a massive addition to you. I want to shift the conversation a little bit. We're talking about digital property, and it kind of got me thinking about the need for space. Right now, as you know, three-dimensional humans, we uh, experience the world. We like to have big houses, big bedrooms. Do you foresee, as we integrate more into an online world that people will have less need for space, especially if you can live in a smaller area, but slap on a pair of goggles and live more online. What's your take on that chain? Yeah. And so I think what you're describing is absolutely inevitable. And I think if you, you know, we, we talk about the extreme scenario where, you know, you talk about goggles, but I think about you know, I'm, I'm wearing a full suit. I've got, you know, like a, a tab in my mouth that lets me taste whatever I'm drinking in the game oh, wow. or in the virtual reality, which already exists, right? I can simulate flavors with electrodes. So these, these things are already there. They're just not integrated yet. Um, but I think it's more interesting to talk about how this has already happened, right? And so I think about my condo that I'm renting now. And uh, when I moved into it, I noticed this time around, which this is about a couple of years ago now, that when I moved in, and I kind of have this habit of some people, when they move from place to place, they have more and more stuff, but I lose stuff as I go, right? It's like every time I move, I hate moving so much that I look for what I can leave behind every time. And so I, I tend to have less and less uh, accumulation of, of um, material as I move. And so this time, what I really noticed was, um, as a person who does a lot of reading, who has read many books uh, and enjoys reading, I think I was down to like four or five physical books left Wow! from when I was in my teens. I probably had two full bookshelves, everything from fiction and nonfiction. And so it's another example where, well, now I don't need as big of a place just because of books for that one reason. And I'm not going home and putting on a headset. I'm going home and turning on my Kindle. Right. And so my digital library, which used to take up, I don't know, probably reasonable to say 30 or 40 square feet is now Plus hundreds of pounds of just paper right is now and and liability and insurance and all of that it's now contained in my little kindle and it's all backed up in amazon and so there is no liability 
And so this is, you know, another example of, of what's happening. Um, same with even devices, right? And so not only uh, are we doing more in the digital space, but the things we do in the physical space are on devices that are also smaller, that are getting more miniaturized. So my TVs are smaller, they're lighter, right? And so I need less furniture to hold them up. I don't need a TV stand anymore. I just need a normal shelf. So yeah, I think that's the trend. And I think as you see more and more of these mediums move into a digital medium, that uh, they they no longer need a physical representation or a much smaller one. The I know someone's watching this and they're either going to be very excited by what we're talking about or they're going to be terrified. Like, oh my God, this goes against everything that my life has been established up to this point. Now with a new generation of kids coming up, and I'm just speaking anecdotally from the kids that I see in my life, screens are massive. Living online, chatting to your friends, playing games is a big part of their life. Now for a big integration of a lot of the technology that we're talking about, are we still you know, a decade or so away from that younger generation coming in and kind of shifting the narrative around things like real estate? Or is the technology itself going to push some of these changes onto us? Whether we'll keep it on the real estate profession side, for example, as those kids who are 12 years old, you know, 15 years from now when they're buying a house, is it that is that going to be the time when we're going to see a big integration of this stuff? Or is the technology going to make certain people so competitive that it's going to be hard if you're not involved in those mediums that you'll have to faster integrate? What's your kind of talk? What's your thought on that? Yeah. And so my thinking on that is a little bit more about um, geography than, than demographics. Mm. And so what I see there as far as rate of adoption, which is a little bit of what I think we're talking about here, rate of adoption I see as being much higher in higher density uh, populations. So Toronto and Vancouver have higher density populations. Consequently, they have bigger uh, head offices and bigger companies based out of their um, uh, geographical locations. And so what happens is in those locations, you get small guys like me who start doing cool things with AI and I'm putting out a new application and I'm maybe uh, to some extent starting to bite into their market. And so one of their sales guys comes to their general sales meeting and says, you know, I lost an opportunity last week to somebody I never lose opportunities to. They're doing something different. And then they take a look at my website and they say, oh, that's a neat idea. And then that's the genesis of, okay, now you have a big player on the East or West Coast who is now adopting a new technology, which is going to drive competition in their market and force, as you were mentioning, most of the rest of their market to adopt the same technology. Uh, and so I see it kind of as, you know, something we've talked about before where maybe the distance is shortening and now we're down to one or five years, but generally I see it as a 10-year gap between when things are implemented on the East and West Coast and when we see them in Saskatchewan. And so there is a nice opportunity, and that is shrinking, right? We're probably down to five years now, but and in some cases one year in the more competitive markets. But I think it is worth watching these more densely populated markets for what's coming. Let them make the mistakes as far as implementing technology that dies, and then try to focus on the stuff that makes the most sense and that's been tested in their environment. To the person who is slightly terrified by these things, and I would put myself in that role because a large part 
of what I do for a living, how I support my family is kind of this analog version of these things, or at least my day-to-day -day actions, even, you know, partaking in this video, this is you and I sitting down, having a conversation where as 10 years from now, will I have to sit down in a chair and just, or will I just program an AI to have a conversation with a version of AI shame? And then people can, can watch that transpire. And so a lot of the analog things that I do can and may and will be replaced by machine or technology. And so what's your advice to someone who is kind of in that stage? And what would you tell them if you're maybe slightly leery of this new technology and how best to take advantage of this? Yeah. And so I would say a couple of things. I'd say one First of all, realize that the only it's it's not just about how fast can we release the tech. There are other things that slow down adoption and release. And in particular, in this arena, we're talking about ethics, right? And so it's not going to be as soon as somebody makes a new tool, it's released into the wild. And now you're on this, uh, you know, curve of adoption and adaptation that's just ridiculously steep. And you're constantly trying to keep up with these things coming out. So the thing to keep in mind is that um, you know, you used a good example there. Well, in the future, when they're looking at this recording, are they, is the first question they're going to ask, which one of these is an AI, right? And so there is an ethical problem behind that question. And part of it, you know, which I think is interesting is, well, if I make an AI version of myself to meet with Ron, that AI version of myself is that my identity that I have digital rights to, is it my property? Or is it the property of the AI tool I used? When I make a picture in Adobe and I use its auto heal function to move a tree out of the picture, does that turn it into a product of Adobe Photoshop or is that my unique IP, right? So these ethical questions are going to dramatically slow down adoption because they imply regulatory framework. And anything that implies regulatory framework means most big companies are gonna look at that and go, whoa, whoa, we gotta see where the laws fall on this before we start investing in our next 10 years in this future, right? Mm -hmm. So on the one side, I would say to people who are concerned about this, realize that there's an entire ethical framework being dragged along with this that's going to have to be addressed before it's widely implemented. Uh, the flip side of that is, I think the worst thing you can do in this scenario is uh close your eyes and let god take the wheel right that's not the answer here right <laughs> so ignoring that this is coming out is the worst approach right and so you need to realize that despite the fact that there's regulatory hurdles it's clearly accelerating and so you are on a on a road you're driving around obstacles and you're speeding up the worst thing you can do right now is close your eyes and hope for the best right and so the answer to people who in particular are concerned with this technology is to try it out, get onto the betas. All of these technologies are giving people a free opportunity to get into them. Um, so try them out, try the different aspects of it out, realize what some of the implications and consequences are gonna be broadly speaking and specifically for your business and your plans and try to account for that, right? Try to make informed decisions about how that's gonna affect your business. I've kind of selfishly changed the the tone of the interview to get the the inside track here on AI, but I kind of want to take it back to someone who's viewing this as just a regular person who's looking to buy a house or looking to invest in real estate. Do you see any massive changes that 
a regular person watching this could say, here is my in of how I'm going to be buying a house, how I'm going to be integrating these different things. Is there any advice that you would give to someone with a real estate flavor just for the average Joe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say realize from a consumer's perspective that what these tools should do is give you more power. And as a consumer, more power, really what I mean there is more options, right? Mm. And so as someone who's looking to purchase a home, especially if you're looking to purchase a home in a geographical location that's far enough away from you that you'd have to commute there or fly there to see it, right? It's going to expand your options as far as um, seeing what properties are appropriate for you, uh, finding out the details of what might make you not buy a property and doing that all remotely without seeing it in person or having to trust a proxy. And then the next step past that is going to be the brainstorming side of it. And so I think the first thing that people in general are going to notice from a consumer perspective is that um, these AI tools are going to be available available to them as well. Like uh, Microsoft Bing, Microsoft's talking about releasing it with Bing in the next couple of months, for example. And so you're going to be able to use these as uh, digital advisors. And so the tool that's going to be interesting for um, consumers who are shopping to buy or sell property is going to be now they can reference this uh, always on conversation partner to ask them if their approach is a good idea, if there's anything glaringly obvious that they're missing, um, if what they're hearing from one provider or another sounds accurate. All of these things are going to be able to converse with this AI and have it provide reasonably intelligent answers, right? And so I think um, from a perspective of making the relationship between you and your clients richer, so talking about both sides of that, that relationship, having an AI in your business that uh, consumes ingests, we call it your particular advice and your particular approach, and then can be available all the time, like 24 hours a day on weekends, on holidays, for your clients who are or your potential clients who are shopping for homes to be able to interact with that when you're not available and yet still have a similar experience to interacting with you right right and so i think from a consumer perspective it's it's mostly good news you're going to get more options the process should get more efficient and uh, you should be more informed that's fantastic and even from that side like if someone didn't really or if someone wanted a, a second opinion on something it's very hard sometimes to find all the information that you need to online. There's a lot of stuff to read. And if you're able to utilize better versions uh, of what's available now, you made the point that anyone who is uh, a, a beginning expert can rely on something like ChatGPT to make themselves sound a lot smarter. Conversely, the consumer can also ingest a lot more information that is more understandable and more uh, available for them to take in. So if you get a quote from the the bank, if you can run that through another program that says, is this the fair term? Is this the fair rate? Is there anything else that I should be looking for when taking out this product? I think that can be incredibly powerful for someone moving forward, not just in real estate, but really in multiple factors of life. Yeah, I think it's going to be a wonderful tool for individuals. Um to have as, as an advisor to, to consult with for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Shane, we're, we're kind of coming up on time here. Uh, just a few more questions for you. Uh, one, I really like to ask everyone who comes on the podcast. This question is what piece of advice would you give to a younger version of yourself? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so to a younger version of myself, so I've always been interested in gadgets and computers. And so, uh, you know, my advice wouldn't be get into computers earlier. I was into them about as early as you can get into them. So what I would say to myself, though, is to learn computer language sooner. Hmm. Even to someone who will never program for money. Just understanding this idea of how to make a computer execute real world processes, what that process looks like at a lower level of logic, so that now that you're starting to interact with these much more sophisticated artificial intelligences that are uh, available for you to query um, the same way you would query a search engine in the past, at least it gives you some insight into... So what I'm, what I'm seeing, so I'm, I'm um, um, subscribed to a bunch of these AI, open AI based drawing utilities, including um, mid journey and a couple others. And so what's interesting when you're using these tools is you get to see what the other people are saying to it, because you're all in a room together, all yelling at this bot, so to speak, and it's responding with drawings, right? And so you see a really, uh, a much bigger um, difference than I was expecting between the sophistication of the people who are asking it questions. And so when I go in there and I ask it to draw, I'm saying, uh, you know, please draw me a cat in a tree that's black. And so it's giving me the, you know, whatever, whatever's behind the black box, it's drawing me a cat in a tree. And half the time it looks cartoonish and it's flat and, it, you know, it looks almost like I drew it. And then you look at these other people who are making requests for drawing and they're putting in paragraphs of detail lighting and angles and the engine that's using to draw it and uh, the resolution, all of these specific details. And so it's a really great example how in the future, like right now in my business in particular, one of the most important skills someone can have is to be able to Google. That sounds ridiculous, but it is incredibly important to be able to ask the right question when you're searching for information. And so what happens with this AI layer that we're putting on top of this is that only becomes more important. Now the people who are the most effective will be the people who ask the best questions to the AI, right? And so from a perspective of what would I tell myself in the past to be more effective today in my goals, well, it would be nice if I was even better at asking the right questions. Wow. Very deep. Something from iRobot, I think. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Shane. Um, I know uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up here with just how people can get in contact with you and how people can help you. I know that you also are involved with a lot of uh, local organizations in Saskatoon that do a lot of great work. So uh, please tell us about some of the, the community groups you're involved with, your business, yourself, and how people can get in contact with you. Yeah, terrific. Thank you. Yeah, you can reach me um, at our website at nics.ca. All of our social media is on there. You can find me on LinkedIn under Shane Zava. Also find my business NICS on there. Um, the other program uh, projects I'm involved with are mostly homelessness. And so I'm interested in uh, getting kind of to the bottom of what causes homelessness and trying to come up with an approach that makes the most sense in our community. And so I'm always interested in connecting with people who uh, care about our community and are concerned about how homelessness and addictions affects it. And if you're looking to get involved in that, I'd love to talk with you. We are always looking for uh, smart and driven people to join the board and uh, to donate to the organization. So it's a very good cause and it's connected to other concerns that I have. And so <clears throat> in particular, I'm concerned about the, 
the moving the welfare state to to a digital welfare system. And so I'm seeing that happen across North America now where government agencies are digitizing the delivery of services to people in need in the community. And there's um, some very good opportunity there to be more efficient and more transparent, but there's also some real dangers that are getting kind of glossed over as we move to that type of system. And so I'm concerned with people falling through the cracks as we move to digital database delivery of services in the community. Awesome. So anybody interested in any of that, please get in touch. I'd love to talk to you. Thanks, Shane. You're a, you're a good man. And we really appreciate your valuable time today and sharing a little bit of your expertise on this really fascinating topic. So thank you very much and really appreciate having you out. Yeah, it's always great to chat with you, Ron. Thanks for the invite. All right. Take care, Shane. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast. If you found some value in this episode, do us a favor and hit the like button. If you want to catch future episodes, make sure to hit the subscribe button as well. I'm Ron Caroni, your Saskatchewan mortgage professional. Until next week, bye for now.